So we're studying the various responses uh, to the resurrected Christ. So how did the church respond? How did individuals respond? How did the church respond as a group uh, to the resurrected Jesus? And we began with a particular look at Matthew chapter 28 with three different resurrection responses there. The first, of course, was the response of, oh my gosh, what just happened? Kind of shock and awe. Uh, you see it with, with the ladies at the tomb. You see it with Peter and John, and, and we walk through that. And then, then you, you have this uh, uh, sense of belief that's settled in. But then you, you see them turn to worship, where the, the, the people of God just simply begin to bow down and worship the Lord. You saw Mary and Mary grab a hold of the ankles of Jesus and begin to worship him. And then the first time when the disciples see Jesus, uh, right before he gives them the great commission in verses 16 of, of Matthew 28, uh, they, they fall down and they begin to worship before he gives them their orders. And then the third thing that we saw from Matthew 28, uh, uh, an initial response to the resurrection was the, the disciples then just going and telling everybody. Uh, they, they were telling their friends, they were declaring the, the fact that Jesus had been raised, and you see Jesus then give the orders. He tells them, go tell, go tell your friends. And so now we're going to move to really several days later. It, it, it's, I struggle with this a little bit because we, we now see those disciples coming to the realization that Jesus is resurrected and then Jesus is ascended. And so in that transition, we see the launch of the church. And we tend to think of those as two different time periods, but in a lot of ways, they're not. We're talking about over about a 50-day period. And so what happened as the church then began to come together? How did they begin to respond to the fact that this Christ, whom many of them had followed as disciples, they had, some of them had watched from a little bit further off, but some of them had, had traveled with him in various places and had heard his teaching one-on-one. -on -one. How did they respond? And you, we're going to launch that really from Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 41 and 42. And this is right after Peter's sermon uh, at Pentecost. And you see the response of the church after so, so Jesus had ascended. They had gathered to pray. While they're praying in the upper room, the Spirit begins to move. Peter stands and preaches. And this is how the church responds to the message of the resurrection and, and the, the descending of the Holy Spirit. It says, those who accepted the message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. So all of a sudden, the church goes from basically the inner circle of disciples of Christ and those close followers to 3,000 people. And look at how they responded. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's going to that's gonna give us the rest of our outline for this series. And I'm actually going to begin with the, they devoted themselves to prayer because that didn't just happen after Peter's sermon. That had actually begun before. And so four more components of, of the response of the early church to the resurrected Christ that I believe is a good guide for us as a church, how we should respond to the fact that Jesus is resurrected is commitment to earnest prayer. Take it all to him in prayer, everything to God in prayer. I have learned throughout my life that if I seek Christ in prayer regularly, daily, for the big events and for the small events, 
I recognize his guidance in my life at least weekly, sometimes daily and sometimes even hourly. And I've shared many of those stories from the pulpit. Let me just kind of, before we read the text, our text today is going to come from Acts chapter 4 in a prayer of the church, and we'll, we'll get to the setting of that here in a little bit, Acts 4.23. But, but let me just kind of give you a common sense look at where these disciples were and where these early Christians were. Prayer wasn't new, okay? We see prayer all throughout the Old Testament. You see people communicating with God through prayer. You see the book of Psalms is filled with prayers, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of petition, uh, a heart cry of, of David uh, uh, for prayers against his enemies, prayers for his friends. That prayer saturates Scripture. And prayer is, is something that's done not just in a Christian context, but in all kinds of religious contexts. Prayer is, is wider than our context. But, but here in the early church, it took on new meaning. Because here's the bottom line. These guys... In particular, the disciples, the apostles, those women who were traveling with him, and, and, and the, the original 120 probably that were in, in Acts, gathered there at Pentecost to start with, those people had a close connection with Christ, and they had walked with God. They had heard him teach. They had listened to his sermons. They had communicated with him. They had talked to him. He had talked with them. They had a personal relationship with the Messiah, Okay. And, and though they didn't completely understand it, and while Jesus was walking around on earth in human flesh, certainly we can tell from Scripture, they most of the time didn't get it that he was God in flesh. Mary knew something was going on because she knew the circumstances of his birth better than anybody. So she had to have known there was something going on here. She knew that he was the Messiah. And, and others understood, they believed, but but understand, if I'm, if I'm walking and talking and, and listening to you teach for, for three years in the flesh, it's, it's hard to make that connection that you are God. And then they watch him die. Like every other human experiences. In some, I mean, he died like every other human, but he died a brutal death. So those closest to Jesus watched him get beaten arrested. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross. He died. He was wrapped in, in, in burial claws, just like everybody else of their day. And then he was stuck in a grave. And so they had this personal relationship where they could walk with him and talk with him and hear from him and learn from him and, and, and develop and grow. And, and it was gone. And all of a sudden he rose again. And ain't nobody ever done that before. And now he's talking to him again. He's cooking fish on the seashore. He, he's sitting there. He's starting a campfire. He, he's teaching them again. And, and they have this conversation. Now it's kind of like the old days, except he can walk through walls and show up you know, unexpectedly in weird places. And so it's hard for us to put ourselves in, in their position, but, but understand they were familiar with a personal relationship with Christ, just like you are with your friends. And, and then he dies, and he rises again, and they have this personal relationship again. And then he, he ascends to, to heaven, and some of the disciples there in Acts chapter 1 stand there watching him get caught up in the air, and it's like, oh. He really is God. He's alive. 
But he's not, now he's not before us. And so they're used to having this personal relationship, conversational relationship with Christ that is gone. And so what we see in the book of Acts is even though he is not before them, their faith has taken that next step to where they understand that I can still maintain and walk in a personal relationship with Christ because he's alive, even though he's not standing in front of me physically. And so prayer for the early church was a conversational connection to a living God that, that, that they had some familiarity with when he was in the flesh, and now he's a living God who's not in the flesh. And so prayer for those early Christians was unlike prayer had ever been. It was unlike prayer for the Jews, except for maybe Moses, who and a, and a handful like that who met God face to face. Moses met God in a burning bush, and so he at least had some experience. Still not the same experience that you can imagine. Peter, James, and John walking around with Jesus all the time, talking to him. He dies, he rises again. They're still talking to him. Now he ascends to heaven. They don't quit talking to him. That's what I want you to get from this. Prayer was about the relationship they had with Jesus. Because he's alive and he's real. And so when we pray, we're not just experiencing some kind of religious exercise. We're communicating with a living God. We're communicating with a God who is alive, who rose from the dead, who desires an intimate personal relationship with us. And if you learn to walk in that kind of relationship throughout your life, you can experience God daily. And what I mean by that, you can experience a relationship with a living God. That's what he desires with us. But that only comes through intimate prayer earnest prayer because he's not standing before us in the flesh today. He arose. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in, in glory, but he promises us that he hears our prayer. He has sent his spirit to be with us and to be in us and provide that connection. And so prayer is an intimate, meaningful conversation that we can have with a friend, and that's what the disciples understood. And I'm sure that the further they got away from his ascension, the more it became like we understand prayer. And yet, I don't think they could ever get away from the fact that prayer was not just about a ritual or a rite, R-I-T-E, like we make it sometimes. Prayer was conversation with a living God. Let me read our text, and then I'm going to do something different than, than for you today. Acts chapter 4 is this incredible prayer of the early church, and it's one of the longest early prayers that we have recorded. The context of this is, is Peter and, and John had gotten arrested. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll talk about this in a minute. They, they, they were going up to the temple at, at prayer time, <laughs> and, and, and they ended up uh, healing a guy, after they healed the guy, they entered up, in, entered in a conversation where Peter was preaching. They got arrested for it. And the, the leadership pulled him, put them in jail, brought him out a couple times, talked to him, and essentially came, brought him out and said, look, here's the bottom line. If you keep teaching about Jesus, we're going to kill you. you. You've got to quit. Just quit talking about him. We're going to let you out of jail, but go back home and shut up. Don't talk about him anymore. And that's when Peter says, look, who, what, what are you telling me to do? Who am I supposed to obey, God or government? And they let him go anyway. So they go back to the church in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. 
After they were released, they went to their own people and they reported everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they come back to their own people and they tell them, hey, they just told us that if we keep talking about Jesus, we're going to get killed. So we better, what were they going to say? We better quit talking about Jesus. That's not what Peter and John said. I want you to hear the church's response in prayer because more often than not, our response would be, Lord, please keep us safe and don't let them kill us. Lord, protect us so we don't get hurt. I want you to hear the response of the church in prayer. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through your Holy Spirit by the mouth of your father David, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. So they laid out what had just happened. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let's back up and read that last part of that prayer before we move on. When confronted with the threat of death, the church's prayer was not for safety. It was for boldness to keep preaching Jesus. Oh, that we would make the kingdom priorities our priorities. Hear that again. Consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God boldly. What an incredible picture of the first prayer of the early church. We're, we're going to go through that prayer in a little bit. But, but before we do that, I want you to, I want to do one other thing with you because I want you to understand the breadth and, and, and the, the frequency of prayer in the early church. I'm not going to read all of these. Pray. The, the, the verb form or the noun form of pray and prayer is mentioned over 30 times in the book of Acts. And that's where it's mentioned in the verse. For instance, here, the scripture says, when they had prayed, okay, well, that's the only mention of this whole prayer. This, 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 this paragraph is, is eight verses long or nine verses long. And prayer was only mentioned once. So prayer was prevalent throughout the book of Acts. It was a regular part of their daily walk. It was a part of their uh, expression of their faith. Prayer was not something they did at one time in the morning. Prayer was, was, in, was, was intimate in everything that they did. So hear this with me. When should we pray? 
If we use the book of Acts as an example, when should we pray? Let me give you a few examples. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says they didn't know what else to do, so they prayed. Right after Jesus ascended to heaven, it says they all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So Jesus had just ascended. He said, go back to Jerusalem and wait. They didn't even know what they're waiting for, so they go back to Jerusalem. They don't know what they're doing, but what do they do? The church gathers in prayer. And the scripture says in Acts 1.14, they were continually united in prayer. So we, we pray when we don't know what to do. We pray when we select new leadership. You see this at least a couple times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 24, they're sitting around praying, and they're going, wait a minute, we're supposed to have 12 disciples. That's a good round number. We only got 11. What are we going to do about Judas who died? And so the scripture says in Acts 1.24, they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two men that they'd set aside that you have chosen to take Judas's place. And so when they were selecting leadership, they prayed. You see that also fleshed out in Acts chapter 6 when it was time to select deacons. They had, uh, they brought men, they, the, the, the leadership asked the church to nominate men who were qualified, and they brought these men before the church. In Acts 6, 6, it says they prayed for them as they stood before them that the Lord would give them wisdom. And then they laid hands on these men who were they, gonna, they were going to ordain as deacons. So as they raised up leadership, they prayed. And then we see here uh, in the passage we read a little bit ago in Acts 2.42, whenever they came together, after the 3,000 souls were saved, every time the church gathered, they prayed, the scripture says. So they made it a point to connect with God in prayer. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, this is one of my favorites, because Peter and John, when they got arrested, they were going up to the temple, the scripture says, because it was a hour of prayer. Well, you mean they set aside a specific time? It wasn't just organic? Yeah, it was time to pray. So you know what they were doing? They went to pray. They had a set aside time where they gathered together with others to pray, and they'd go up to the temple to pray. I love that because prayer is organic. Prayer is something that we, we do in our walk with the Lord every moment of every day, but it's also something that we plan and that we set aside and we structure time to pray. If it's important, we will pray. That's why we pray for the lost. At Tuesday nights at 6.30, we gather in here and we pray for the lost because it's time to pray. And, and so they, they, they prayed at appointed times. They prayed whenever they came together. Acts 4.31, what we just read, they prayed when they were threatened. Now, they didn't pray for safety. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times, and we'll see some in Acts, where they prayed for safety. They prayed for deliverance. But in this point, in, in this passage, they didn't pray for safety. They prayed for boldness. Lord, we're kind of scared. We don't want to get tortured. We don't want to get killed. We don't want to get stoned. But nevertheless, give us boldness so that we preach the gospel. And then whatever happens, happens. So they prayed when they were threatened. They, they, Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the scripture says that when they begin to have that division in the church between the, the Greek widows and, and the Jewish widows, and they were, they were struggling with the, the pastoral leadership taking care of everybody and making sure everybody got their fair share, and this is that passage in Acts 6 where they raised up deacons, the scripture says that the reason that they, the, they needed some deacons to be raised up because the job of the pastors at that point, they needed to focus on preparing to preach and praying, 
The, the, the staff knew, the, the pastoral leadership, the early preachers knew that they needed to spend time dedicated in prayer to the Lord, connecting to him. And so if we're going to grow and mature and, and, and be able to do what God's called us to do, we need to be in prayer. Acts 8.22, when we need to repent, the scripture says, therefore, they, they repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord that your heart's intent may be forgiven. When's it appropriate to pray? When you've sinned against God. You come to him and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. And you repent of your sin and you turn from your sin and you turn back toward God. I've skipped a bunch already. I want to give you a few more from Acts. Acts chapter 940, in times of sickness and death. Uh, there, there was a young lady that was sick. Peter sent everybody out of the room in Acts 940 and he knelt down and he prayed and turning toward the body... He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. So, yes, it's appropriate to pray for the sick. So they prayed when people were sick. Now, as Baptists, we tend to have that one down, right? That's, we're good at that. This is what I want you to hear, because this is one of the things that we've, we've stepped back from a little bit. We used to have kind of that traditional prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and, and I've, I've struggled with that all of my ministry to some extent, because oftentimes... Our, our Baptist prayer meetings would, would kind of, they didn't really disintegrate, but we'd end up just taking a list of prayer requests, people that were sick or people that were in financial trouble, and we would pray for those needs. It's absolutely appropriate to pray for people's needs. It's absolutely appropriate to pray for the sick and the hurting, but that should only be one aspect of our prayer life and a relationship with God. You see it here, but it's not... It's not the primary reason that they prayed. When we want to know God, and so we can be used by God. The entire book of Acts chapter 10, or the chapter, uh, chapter 10, is an incredible picture of a man who was a godly man, but he wasn't a Christian, and, and he was a giving man, and he began to pray that God would show him more. And so while he was praying that God would show him more, his name was Cornelius, Peter, the apostle, goes up on his rooftop, and he's praying, and God gives him a vision while he's praying that he needs to go to the Gentiles. It's a long, complicated way that God shows him that. We're not preaching Acts 10 today. But Peter's praying over here, and Cornelius is praying over here, and while Cornelius is praying over here, God speaks to him and he says, I'm going to send somebody to you, but you need to send three guys out searching. And so he sends three guys out searching while Peter's up here on his rooftop. Somebody's knocking on his door. He goes down and his three guys from Cornelius. And God connects them. Peter goes to Cornelius's house and, his and preaches the gospel and his entire household is saved. All of that happened because one man was praying because he knew that he needed to, to, to know God and he needed to know God better and because Peter was praying that he might be used. And so you see God use that intimate prayer of those two different men from two different, completely different backgrounds to bring two guys together. That would have never happened had they not been connected to God in prayer. If you're going to be used of God, you've got to be connected to him in prayer. Acts chapter 12, verses 5 and, and, and 12 illustrate that the church was praying when, when Peter was in danger. Peter had gotten arrested. At this point, James, one of the three uh, closest apostles to Jesus, had already gotten his head chopped off. Peter was next. His head was about to be on the chopping block. Herod had figured out that the crowd liked that, and so he was going to take care of Peter. So while Peter's in prison, the church was praying. While the church was praying, the gates came open. 
Peter's chains fell off, and Peter goes uh, back, and Acts 12, 12 says, as soon as he realized the chains had fallen off, he went to the house of Mary, mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying, because they were praying for Peter. Acts 12, 5 says they were fervently praying for God to deliver Peter. And so, yes, it's appropriate to pray for those uh, in circumstances like that. So they were praying for their friends that were in danger. In Acts 13, they were praying for their missionaries they were about to send out. God raised up men from the church in Acts 13, and Scripture says that they brought them together and they prayed for them as they they sent them out. You get the picture here? Everything the church did... Everything that they, they were a part of was, was bathed in communicating with God in prayer. It allowed God to lead them. It allowed God to use them. It allowed God to mature them. God was at work in them as they communicated with God. Later on in Acts 16.25, you see prayer as a part of Paul and Silas's worship time. They were in prison, locked in the inner dungeon. And the Scripture says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So part of their worship while they're locked in prison is they're praying and singing hymns when God releases them and sets them free. So prayer was a part of their praise and worship as they're communicating with God. And then finally, and we don't see this as much in the book of Acts in a survey like this. You see it ingrained in Acts, but prayer is also a part of, is where we come and give thanks to God. In fact, if you look through the Psalms, probably the most prolific mention of prayer is, is the prayer of thanksgiving. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, that we ought to keep pray always, rejoice always, pray fervently, giving thanks in everything. And so prayer is connected to our giving thanks back to God, and you see it all throughout the Psalms. Psalm 7, Psalm 91, Psalm 106, you just read through the Psalms, and you see, see Psalms of thanksgiving over and over and over. So let me back up and ask the initial question that I launched this primary point with. As a Christian, walking in a relationship with God, when should we pray? I hope you've gotten the point. Every day, always, bringing it all to him in prayer because it's not about rituals. It's not about religious rites. Prayer is, is the, it's the, the foundation of communication with a holy God. For many of us, if you were to take our cell phones out of our hands right now, it would take us a few days to quit doing this, right? Have you ever lost it for an hour or two and, then, and, and it's just driving you nuts? It, 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 I remember visiting with some men who, who struggled with, with stopping smoking cigarettes. And most of the guys I knew were like my dad. Dad smoked Winston's, and he always had a pack of Winston's in his pocket. When he tried to quit smoking, he almost tore his pockets off of his shirt, reaching up there doing this, trying to get his cigarettes out. It, it was habitual. That's the way prayer should be. When we don't pray, we, we should be itching. It should be driving us nuts because we should be walking in that way with a holy God that we're communicating with him every single day. And when we don't, we miss it. When we pray then, how? How do we come to him in prayer? 
What are some of the components of prayer? I want to look at this two ways very quickly. First is this, from the text that we looked at in Acts chapter 4, I want you to notice that this prayer was kingdom-focused. I think one of the most important things that we need to keep before us as believers is we need to keep our prayers kingdom-focused and not me-centered. It's so easy for us to, to allow our prayer life to be centered around me, my, I, what I want, what I need, what my friends want, what my family needs. Whereas here, you don't see that at all in this prayer from the early church. It is very kingdom-focused. They didn't pray for their safety. The, the, the only thing that they prayed for personally was that God would give them boldness. That was their prayer request. Boldness for what? To keep preaching the gospel so that you can get stoned? Basically, just give us boldness to be obedient. They, their desire was to be faithful to God. And so that was their prayer. It was not me-centered. It was kingdom-centered. Their, their prayer was filled with worship. Our prayers should be filled with worship of a holy God. We ought to begin with worship. You can tie this to the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 13. And I was going to go there next, but I'm going, to, I'm going to tie these two together and shorten it just a little bit. Because Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer, how do we begin? Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Jesus tells us to begin. He gives us that model of worship. We lift up a holy God. Holy be your name, God. We're worshiping a holy God as we cry out to him, and it's kingdom-centered. Your will be done, not mine. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so our, our prayer here, you, you see the, the intimate connection of, of worship, where when they begin to pray, it's not about us. They say, Master, you are the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Why is it important to begin prayer with worship, begin prayer with a focus on him, lifting him up? Because that correctly positions us. It reminds us that he's God and we're not. Right? He's in charge. I'm not. He's holy. I'm not. When we recognize that he is God, it it puts us in a different, it puts our problems in a whole up different place. Look, they've got threats from leadership, people who are more powerful on earth than them, that they're threatening to take their lives. But they, the first thing they do is they look to heaven, they say, wait a minute, you made heaven, you made the earth, you made the seas, and you made everything in them. Why are we worried about those guys? When we worship God and recognize who he is, it correctly positions us. When we remember that he's eternal, it puts things that in life that are temporary in perspective, which everything in life is temporary, is temporary outside of our relationship with God. And so all of this becomes less important than the kingdom, than his purposes. So we're kingdom focused, we're filled, our prayers ought to be filled with worship. That ought to include scripture. Here the early church, they include Psalm 2.1. They look back to the Psalms and they say, uh, they, you know, the, the psalmist asked, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? They, they go back and they quote scripture in their prayer, quote God's words back to him in a very real way. We ought to include scripture in our prayer. And then their focus was on the fulfillment of God's will. As they were kingdom focused in their prayer, looking toward Christ or looking toward God seated in the heavenlies, he had created everything. Their, their one prayer request was about how I can be faithful to fulfill God's will. And you see that uh, in, their, in their cry to the Lord. And then notice that their prayer was in the name of Christ. 
And they didn't do a tagline like we often do at the end of our prayer, say, in Jesus' name we pray. But I want you to see how they ended the prayer. They said, while you stretch out your hand and for healing and signs and wonders that are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were praying according to his kingdom purposes, according to his will in his name. I believe that that is closer in line to what it means when Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 16 says that if you, you're, you know, I'm your friend, you're, you're friends of mine now, and I'll give you anything that you request in my name. Well, there, you hear, there he's particularly talking about bearing fruit for the kingdom. We forget that. So it gets twisted in our modern world to say, hey, Jesus will give you everything if you just ask for it. No, it doesn't. That's me focused. That's not fruit-bearing focus. That's not kingdom-focused. Here they were praying for God to give them boldness that they might preach, a kingdom-focused desire in their prayer. So what's the result of their prayer? And we'll end with this. What, 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 what is prayer going to accomplish? Well, the first thing that I want you to notice is that God heard their prayer. <laughs> Don't forget that. It, it, it's not about getting everything you want. It's about a relationship with the living God, bringing our request before him. I'll be real honest with you. And some of you know this about me. I've shared it before. There's times that I got frustrated and angry with God, especially when Katie got really, really sick and things didn't go the way I thought they should go. They didn't make sense to me. And in my prayer, I would express that because I believe that he already knew my heart anyway. <laughs> Why hide it? Why press it down? I might as well tell him what he already knows I'm thinking. And, and, and so God hears our prayer. He hears our request. Bring your request to him. I, I, I know there's sometimes it doesn't feel like he's hearing you, right? There's times when, when you pray and it just doesn't seem like God's there, that he's not listening, that he doesn't hear your prayer. Here's an important dynamic. This, I want you to hear this. I'm, I'll ask you a simple question. If God in his word promises that he hears the prayer of his people, but you don't feel like he's hearing your prayer, which is true, God's word or your feelings? Have your feelings ever lied to you before? Have your feelings ever tricked you before? Have you ever gotten emotional about stuff when it wasn't necessary? Yes, certainly. I'm going to bank on the fact that if God says he hears our prayer, he hears them, whether I feel like it or not, right? That's making a choice, walking by faith. I believe God's word, even when it doesn't line up with my feelings. God hears our prayer. God responds to our prayer. Now, he responded to their prayer in a unique way. The building they were in shook from his power and his presence. God responded to their prayer. God responds to our prayer when we come to him in prayer. Sometimes he, is, he's, he speaks directly. I mean, I haven't heard a verbal, audible voice, but there's times when I knew that I knew that I knew when God, when I prayed that God answered and I knew exactly what he was telling me to do. I wish I had time because from the time that God called me to the ministry, Prayer has been an intimate part of my walk with him, and I've seen him do miraculous things that can't be explained any other way than God's answer to prayer. And I don't have time to walk through all of those, but, but trust me, you've seen it here if you've been a part of this church very long. 
God hears our prayer and God responds to our prayer. Here's something I don't want you to miss, though. God changes us when we pray. What was the third result here? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. God didn't change the Sadducees. He didn't change the chief priest necessarily. God changed his people. When we come to him and we humble ourselves and earnestly, intimately pray, God changes us. He will always be at work in our lives to, to change us, to mold us, to shape us, to draw us closer to him. And then fourth, they were used by God. If you earnestly seek God in prayer, I believe he hears you, he responds, he changes you, and he uses you. You see what he did there? And they began to speak the word of God boldly. Their prayer request was, Lord, give us boldness to proclaim your word. He answered their prayer, and he gave them boldness, and they began to preach his word. When we pray earnest, kingdom-focused, God-honoring prayer, he will be at work in us to transform us, to change our hearts, to use us for his glory, to accomplish his purposes. When should we pray? It ought to be like any other relationship. You ought to be continually communicating with the living God who died for you, who, who, who rose again, and whose spirit indwells the believer. We ought to have that connection all the time, in all circumstances, good times, bad times, when we're struggling, when we don't even know what else to do, we pray. And when we earnestly seek him and get down on our face before him in prayer, kingdom-focused, God-honoring prayer, he will hear our prayer, respond to our prayer, change us, and use us for his glory. That's the importance of prayer for the early church, but it's also the importance of prayer for every believer today, for his church today. So how do we respond to the fact that we don't have the physical Jesus standing before us? Because we know he's alive, because we know he's resurrected, we bring everything to him in prayer. And we stay connected and we walk with him in our prayer life. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and